0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio In High Fidelity
1: Peuple vulnérable, peuple immoral, Peuple à boussale, peuple pénétrable. Yo di, nous sommes pep qui sautent, mais nous pas bras pour wauche. Peuple à sans famille, peuple sans Peuple aigri, peuple a, a tout tourné Ton nez boulim, nous pas qu'à effacer C'est celle bon Dieu qui pour juger C'est religion ça, parler en pile ça C'est missionnaire ça Qui fait peuple à vivre à bout C'est manger chien ça, c'est manger chien ça C'est agricole ça, qui fait peuple à ville Il a fait grand-papin, il a fait propagande. Pendant nous l'emprison, prison, tout y tissant. Mais chaque époque, qui pour le passé, mais toute maman, si y a de l'eau Nous Nous grand bois, nous prenons les café, nager des de l'eau. J'ai qui riche, pas chamois, j'ai qui pauvre, mais chaque coucou, clair et bouger. C'est gouvernement ça, c'est coup d'état ça, parlez un pile ça, qui fait peuple vulnérable. Ça fait couler ça, mon enroume, mon ça. c'est ça fait classe. Legacy of 1804
2: I am your host Alice Backer. Today's date is September 29, 2017, and uh, tonight we are going to speak at around 10 p.m. to our guest, Darnell Benoit, from the Flamboyant Haitian Literacy Project. We're very excited to have her on because we've heard of that project for a while. We know they've been doing great work in Brooklyn, helping uh, Haitian students improve their college preparedness, and offering um, literacy class to adults. And um, they also host, um, I think it's called Ticozien Batonel, which happens every Friday. And um, so they do quite a bit over there, and um, we're very happy to welcome Darnell on the show tonight. But that's not for another 40 minutes. So in the meanwhile, we need to be uh, entertained and uh, informed. So we're going to do just that. We're joined tonight by uh, my usual uh, legacy of 1804 Haiti News and Blog Review co-host, Uggie Lahls, direct from Florida. He's join, joining us tonight uh, to keep us company in the first hour. Now, uh, we opened the show with um, Papla Vulnerable by... Paul Bourbon from his album, Vulnerable. And of course, Paul Bourbon himself doing wonderful things, touring with Lauren Hill. Um, I think recording an album also with Jackson Brown right now. So um, another, another one to watch. Here at Love 1804, we amplify Haitian Voices live on air every Friday night. And that is just the audio version of what we have been doing online at kisscagacity.com since 2005. Also, we are on Pinterest, Tumblr, Instagram. Uh, actually, Pinterest, not so much. <laughs> Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter, of course, where there are now about 49,000 of you following, and I'm very grateful to you all for that. If you enjoyed tonight's show and you find it constructive, please share it to your social network. Um, you can also embed the player anywhere you want, and that's going to be available to you as soon as the show is over tonight. I always like to know that I'm on air, so I'm going to open Hugues Girard's line, and Hugues is joining us as usual from Florida, you, you, can I be heard?
3: I hear you very well, can you hear me?
2: Yes, I can hear you very well too. So we're good, we're awesome. good. Okay, uh, thank you also to all of those I see on the dashboard. I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to see uh, numerous ones of you joining. I also, I'm already seeing a hand up. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, Caller in 613, <laughs> I will get to your hand in a second. I'm sure you have something urgent to say, uh, but let me finish uh, the introductions for those who may be listening for the first time. You, if you want to read Haitian bloggers what they're saying, I aggregate that for you at the Haitian Bloggers handle on Twitter and at the Facebook uh, the Haitian Bloggers Facebook page. You can go and read what Haitian bloggers are saying in real time, and. Um, you know that uh, people always asking me how to support this show. Uh, I'm not yet equipped to take donations, but if you want to support the show, you can certainly, if you want to support me, you can certainly uh, spread the word and uh, put the word out about Lakai Musically Thursday, which of course I curate, and it's every Thursday uh, at Lakai right here in Brooklyn across from Brooklyn Academy of Music. And next week we're going to be welcoming Ishmael Levy. Who's a wonderful Guyanese American, um, very promising folk reggae singer, who, who, had, who adds percussion to the music, which we like a lot. And uh, also, you can, um, you know, if you're if you're interested in some of the stuff I'm interested in, you can, you know, if you want to edit Wikipedia, learn how to edit Wikipedia. We've got a lot of that, a lot of that for you, and you can just check out Afrocrad.org to find out more. So you can listen to past shows on iTunes by searching the keywords legacy of 1804 and past shows are also available under the legacy of 1804 tab at Um, Another way to support is you, you, you know, of course, that I curate um, music for live music for like I'm musically Thursday. Um, but all of those bands can be booked for any number of your weddings, your, um, your events, your concerts, whatever it is uh, that you need good bands for, uh, specifically uh, Haitian bands, uh, up-and-coming talent. We're we're always amazed to see how beautifully some of these um, singers are doing. Uh, Anise Maviel, for example, just got reviewed in the New York Times recently. She's a Franco-Haitian, grew up in France, uh, of a Haitian mother, and now kind of doing her thing in Brooklyn and uh, touring Latin America soon. Um, you know, it's it's that's the caliber of young Haitian talent um, that we seek to support at uh, La Caim Musically Thursday, and of course, those bands are available to be booked for anything else that you need. Um, and that includes Pablo Blan, that includes uh, Anaïs, that includes Edwin Vasquez, very important uh, Brooklyn Brooklyn bred Puerto Rican talent. That includes. Um, any number of the uh, of the Indian Mission-inspired uh, song stresses. People like Tifan. People like. Um. um where, where am I drawing a blank on their names? Um. I will have all those names for you. Uh. It's been a long week, but you get the idea. Um. We want to support and promote young talent. So. That being said, for those of you listening online, you, if you want to call in at some point, you can do so at 714-242-6119. Again, 714-242-6119. And uh, a lot of people just like prefer to listen on the phone. Uh, you can also just listen to the show outright if you need to at 714-242-6119. I know that sometimes when people listen online, um, the the show has a tendency to reboot itself every few ten minutes, so that that can be a, a, a bother. So you can just call in if you have minutes uh, and listen straight at 714-242-6119. Of course, the show is going to be archived, so you can listen um, you can listen on demand later if you want. Uh, but of course, we we love to have you all live, um, you know, hooked in. So and so those of you who are already on the phone, just press one, and uh, I'll know to call on you. And I, and I know there's some one of you already has their hand up and I'm going to call on you in a second. So again, that number is 714-242-6119. It is always such a pleasure to have all of you with us. Uh, before we get into uh, the latest roundup of Haiti and Haitian news with UG, caller in 613. You have your hand up. I hope it's not by accident. I just opened your line. Caller in 613. All right, that may be by accident. Um, You're not saying much. Okay, so I'm going to assume that was a mishit. Um, I'll call on you again in a moment, just in case you're you're just away and uh, just couldn't get your act together. Uh, But Ugg, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to have you. I know that you uh, and your family were recently affected and hit by Irma as are all of our Florida friends. And uh, so why don't you first uh, reassure us that uh, you and your family are okay or, or not and, and kind of give us an update. We have a lot, of, uh, a lot of people from the, you know, the biggest Haitian community is in Florida and Irma hit both the north of Haiti and Florida. So uh, this is definitely kind of a big happening in the community. Do you want to tell us a little more about that?
3: Uh, hi, Alice. Yes, uh, uh, thanks again for welcoming me to um, legacy of 1804. It's always a pleasure to be with the listeners of this program. Um, my family and I were among the lucky ones. Uh, um, our area, our spot in Florida, our corner of Florida was not as ex- affected as some other areas we've, see, uh, we've all seen in, in the news. Uh, we got extremely lucky. Uh, um, the The Irma shifted away from us at the last second, but uh, 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 um, the Tampa Bay area uh, was definitely bracing for uh, the worst. So um, I, I, I I am very grateful. I know I am extremely lucky, um, my family and I, and um, we we did okay. We lost power for about five days. Uh, we were without power for about five days, but that's about as bad as it got. Some trees fell around us, fell, and some uh, houses were damaged. But you know, it, it's par for the course in Florida. Um, at least here, we, we we're lucky to be warned uh, um, early enough, fairly well in advance, so people know to take measures. And uh, I'm there were measures taken here. Many, many people evacuated to Florida. There was a bit of panic because the two main highways out of Florida were were like looking like parking lots for a while. Um, my family did, did leave our house. We we didn't stay here because I live in a very in, in a wooded area, so we were concerned about uh, lots of trees around our house. But um, when we came back, we everything was fine. So. I thank uh, the Creator. He had his eyes on me, and I uh, hope things will improve very soon for those who are affected.
2: Well, that is, of course, very good news. We're always happy to know um, you contribute so much to the show. So, definitely, you are in our thoughts, and in our, you know, we were sending good vibes your way. Uh, as this was happening as well as so many of our guests who are from Florida uh, people like Pascal Aubert, for example, uh, people like uh, Dr. Lou and of course my own relatives so it's very good to know that uh, everybody's safe and sound. Um, we know that uh, others were not as fortunate but we also know that um, uh, Irma actually, Spared Haiti, which, by and large, and, and you, you can you, you can tell me in a moment if I have the, the right impression there, but it sounds like uh, Irma kind of spared um, Haiti and, and kind of hit um, just the north. However, uh, we know that Maria later on really ravaged places like Puerto Rico and Dominica, um, and um, hopefully we'll have a little time to maybe hit on that. We know that our friends in Dominica, who are also Creole speakers, Um, uh, From what I hear, their island is completely ravaged. Uh, There are people who don't know where their relatives are. Um, As unfortunately environmentalists are saying that coastal cities are poised, many coastal cities including places like New York and Miami uh, supposedly are poised to be underwater in less than 50 years because of the state of the environment. we, we just have to kind of get used to the notion that our islands in the Caribbean are, are actually um, even more, you know, what we're, what we're looking at is probably, you know, the, the erosion of our coastlines. Um, all of these floods aren't like a, a coincidence. They're, they're intricately linked. The, the floods we see in Haiti uh, consistently um, and then these, you know, these crazy hurricanes and their effects, their devastating effects, are, um, you know, they're part and parcel of uh, climate change. So these are things that we're going to be coming across more and more, and we're going to be coping with these, uh, we're going to be called on to cope with these disasters more and more. So um, so I don't know if uh, we should now jump in. We haven't, I think it's been two weeks or three weeks since we've uh, reviewed the Haiti news. Let me know if there's anything particularly salient that you want to go into. um, And that is of, of note, I'm going to, I'm going to be very honest and say that due to uh, an increasingly demanding schedule in my uh, daytime work activities, I've not been as in touch as, as I usually am, and this is both on the, on the US news front and on the Haiti news front. Um, and so it's actually very valuable and extremely helpful to have you fill us in. Um, and I, I'm definitely looking forward to when, I'm gonna go back to the way I used to be and the way things used to be for me schedule-wise. Um, so yes, Uke, anything of note?
3: Uh, yes, I think last time we spoke, we may have discussed uh, um, taxes Um, that were in the works in the Haitian Parliament and we had discussed the fact that uh, um, the diaspora looks like a prime target for all these new taxes that were coming up. Uh, I even speculated that the real target of the 10,000 good uh, uh, um, arbitrary taxes uh, uh, was uh, being targeted uh, at uh, the TPS uh, holders who may or may not have to go back to Haiti en masse, some 58,000 of them. Well, things have evolved quite a bit since then. Uh, Pressures from the diaspora uh, apparently forced the Haitian parliament to uh, uh, drop that part of uh, their requirement. Originally, any Haitian uh, Haitian citizen abroad uh, needing to access uh, Haitian state services would have to first pay this arbitrary 10,000 good uh, um, in taxes uh, before anything else. And that idea has since been dropped uh, they moved the goalposts to having to pay if services in Haiti, if a, di- a, 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 a Haitian living abroad would conduct some kind of business, such as buying, importing a car, they would have to first Pay that uh, ten thousand good uh, arbitrary flat tax, Um, but locally things have really evolved because um, the uh, the parliament, the government committed, and apparently the parliament uh, approved uh, draconian tax measures in Haiti and that was particularly galling when you consider that the current prime minister himself they hadn't paid taxes for like five years up until the very day he was nominated for the position um so people were truly offended that uh they would have to pay taxes on annual income of sixty thousand goods which come to about $900, 950 a year, um, so um, cost of passports uh, would move from uh, $1,500, uh, I want to say roughly uh, about $60 or so uh, to 3000 etc. Um The government was rejecting up prices left and right, parking tickets, moving violations were tripling and quadrupling. Um, so this is uh, uh, the same government that actually refused to move uh, minimum wages from uh, after a lot of hand wringling, moved the minimum wages from 300 goods, uh, which is about a little less than $5 a day to 350 goods. That's the minimum wage. So, uh, um, you know, low-income people, which is the majority of Haitians, uh, uh, were were very offended. Um, and they warned the government not to move ahead with the taxes, but uh, Jovenel Moises and, and, and La Fontaine's, uh government went ahead anyway. Uh, parliament approved and um, protests started, uh, almost immediately around the 18th of September. Um, but since then, the uh, things have snowballed, because uh, Jovenel went ahead and he published the um, new taxes officially in, um, uh, in Haiti's official government um, newspaper. And well, that brought out uh, protesters now we're moving on to the third week of protest that started around the 18th of uh september beginning with the mass public transportation um drivers union protests uh, where uh, top tops and buses were not available for uh two three days and uh, since then other areas uh, of government uh, uh, Other areas of national life have joined the protesters uh, and the protests have spread uh, to the countryside, not just Port-au-Prince anymore, it has spread to uh, several other cities, certainly not just in the North, not just cap Haitien, but in Jovenel Moise's home turf of Nord itself. And uh, something remarkable that happened is that municipalities were excluded from the budget writing process. Instead of a bottom to top process where uh, localities, um, uh, local municipalities would would submit their own budget to the government and move up the chain all the way to the president, Um, the government created, it wrote its own budget at the exclusion of uh, city halls and uh, mayors and small towns, uh, um, councils and the like. And lo and behold, those people, having been excluded from the process, um, took to the street as well. Uh, And the demonstration mushroomed very quickly from a demand to rescind the new tax laws to asking for Jovenel to basically vacate the property, (laughs) to vacate the premises. They want, the. People on the street are asking for this government, which uh, in many observers uh, um, views lacks legitimacy, uh, to go away the government. And so now um, is uh, very quickly backpedaling. The very same uh, members of parliament who had voted the tax laws are now uh, criticizing it they're um, offering um, rectifications and indeed the Jovenel Lafontaine government rushed through today, rushed through uh, a modification bill to the tax law that was submitted this morning to parliament and parliament which is actually away on vacation uh, is being called back into town into uh, Port-au-Prince to vote on this new Uh, On this modification for the new tax law as early as Monday, and it is expected to pass. Among the changes, for example, um, whereas before patients making uh, at least 60,000 goods of roughly $1,900 a year would have to, to pay, excuse me, $950 a year would have to pay, now it's been changed to 120. 120,000 goods, roughly $1,900 uh, a year uh, would have to pay a minimum of 10% tax, uh, uh, um, just on income tax. Um, and every. that's just one of the many modifications have been, been, that have been proposed uh, to this newly published law. But uh, as far as the people and the demonstrators on the street and businesses uh, and our concern, is, it's already too late. We are already hearing of some um, not very good signs. Uh, a very popular hardware store such as CK, CK Hardware Store have been set on fire. Uh, I read of, uh, of, of this, I don't know, it's hard to protest on the street, but it's hard also to ignore uh, these new developments. Uh, several people have been shot so far. Uh, the police uh, have have been uh, 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 um, not shot at, but certainly received a lot of stones thrown their way, and they've responded so far with blanks and tear gases. But uh, as um, writer Lionel uh, Trouillot put it in the release this afternoon, there is real fear that this thing is going to end up in, in, in bloodshed because the Jovenel uh, Moïse Lafontaine government's attitude uh has been one of quote disdain towards the protesters and anyone who's been questioning the entire new tax law writing process so um new demonstrations have been announced for this upcoming uh, um monday and tuesday so we'll be watching this very closely uh to see what is the next Jovenel basically have been blamed for being hard-headed, bull-headed, and uh, wanting to do things his way. Uh, he's been described as a tennis player on a soccer team. I'll stop here for now.
2: All right, and you, just so we can get a, a a a bit of scale, we know that I know I like I knew the scale of the protests during the elections, and also the protests that brought down Lamotte. Those were those were very very wide scale um, compared to those protests how how do these protests compare to the protests um, to against the election results and the protests against the multi government that ended up uh, overthrowing Lamotte Motte?
3: If if the videos that we're we're watching from uh, coming in from all corners of Haiti or any indication, I would say they are much more serious this time around. Just in sheer numbers, there uh, uh, streams and streams of tens, what looks like tens of thousands of people coming out in just in, in, in Port-au-Prince neighborhoods alone. But what's interesting this time, two, two, two things stand out for me. One is the situation of the, uh, the municipalities protesting uh, against the central government. Let's not forget that decentralization has been uh, one of the key demands of, of uh, Haitian citizens for decades now. And uh, every incoming government has hesitated because they want to hold on to the power so uh, it, it was very interesting to see many of these um, many of the mayors new, new mayors who may or may not have been uh, uh, frankly selected by the ruling party the uh, the PH, uh, have come out in protest against the central government so that's remarkable that's the two for me uh, is how far widespread this thing has become and how far Fast it happened on the countryside, not just the big cities, you know, not you know, Hensh, O'Kai, or or Cap and Jeremy, but in places like Tour du Nord and, 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 and other places like that. And uh, um, people are coming out and they're protesting. They're protesting against the, the taxes that they find outrageous, and they're protesting against uh, not lack, but absence of accountability. Um, the main the main uh, contention is that people cannot tell what happens to uh, to their tax dollar. And to make matters worse, um, the Jovenel announced that uh, he needs to raise about fourteen billion with a B goods to pay to to pay for the interest on the Petrocaribe uh, uh, money. Let's not forget the three billion dollars three with a B um billion dollar loan that Haiti had gotten from um, Venezuela. Well, that bill has now uh uh, uh is it's now due. It's time to start paying uh, some of it. And uh except the Haitian people have nothing to show for that debt. Um if investigations led by none other than Yuila Tortu is to be believed that money was basically stolen by the Martelli government, uh with Martelly himself being the prime suspect. Um, and, and some of it by, by, by members of, of Quiva's government uh, uh, that preceded Martelli's as well, uh, uh, according to some, of those, uh, to some observers. Um, so it was particularly galling for this government that was basically handpicked by Martelli to now announce that they're raising taxes to pay, to service a debt that the people cannot account for that uh, to service a debt that that did not benefit the population in in any way. So all of that has really brought people out in protest and and now they're not asking for that new tax code to be revoked only. They're asking this government to pack it.
2: Well, 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 how how do you see this ending?
3: Uh, In bloodshed, of course, because um, (laughs) Because um, uh, this party has made it clear that they are uh, the heirs of Francois Duvalier and they're here uh, as no, no uh, Duvalier leads to rule Haiti for the next 50 years. So I don't see them giving up easily at all. So uh, um, before this thing is over, uh, well, at least I'm expecting a lot of bloodshed. Whether all right. yep well whether the, the um government actually falls or, or or survives the storm uh it's clear that there's going to be a lot of violence before the day before this issue is over
2: all right so unless there's anything else you want to touch on with haiti i wanted to move to the, uh, the impact of the of the um, of uh, I guess Maria in Puerto Rico and Dominica, but um, we have we have a good 15 minutes, so if there's anything else that we need to touch on for Haiti.
3: Um, sure. I, I just want to point out quickly that uh, um, there are people on the ground in Haiti that are trying to avoid this bloodshed that I mentioned. Um, there's, for example, uh, Congressman Patrice uh, Dumont, uh, who has invoked several constitutional articles that, uh, in his mind, the president may have violated. So they're thinking maybe a might be an easier way to solve the issue rather than bloodshed and violence. So that's different this time. And on that note, I think that's about all I have to say regarding uh, um, main news in Haiti right now. But uh, uh, let's keep our eyes and ears open as we we report about individual violence here and there.
2: And was I correct, UG, that Irma did not affect Haiti that much? What were Irma damages in Haiti and in the North?
3: Um, There was some flooding, uh, and I actually heard of three deaths uh, that that were related, but that was probably due more to, you know, uh, uh, um, lack of infrastructure and uh, and response planned. Uh, I remember reading a report of the government basically telling people to take refuge, but um, the people in charge of the actual, uh, uh, of organizing the... You know, getting people into schools and government building uh, had actually stolen uh, uh, things like water that was in blankets that uh, uh, that had been shipped in. So somewhere along the way, uh, uh, these things, uh, uh, you know, the help that was supposed to, go to the people disappeared. Um, and some uh, I heard of three deaths, people who got caught in the flood who didn't get to uh, to a safe place fast enough. Uh, to think that Irma didn't really touch Haiti and just so, you know, flash floods caused by the uh, by the winds were enough to, to to cause three deaths. So we can really
2: thank God uh, that Irma spared Haiti. All right, indeed, um, that's, that's, yeah, that's one less problem <laughs> um, and one less crisis uh, for now, Absolutely. so that's good. All right, so moving right along, I want to now turn to Puerto Rico and Dominica. Uh, And I remind everyone that at 10 p.m., we're going to be joined by Darnell Benoit, who's the executive director of the Flamboyant Haitian Literacy Project right here in Brooklyn, New York. And so, but we couldn't possibly I'm, I'm actually glad that she couldn't come on until 10 because it's hard this week to not acknowledge and touch on what has been going on in Dominica and Puerto Rico and um, probably other places in the Caribbean, some of which just because of the way it works, just we're not hearing from. But I have personally, of course, we've heard a lot about Puerto Rico, and I personally, because I have a colleague who's Dominican, um, have heard about Dominica. So first I want to say that there are emergency relief efforts for Dominica. The drop-off location is 1317 East 98th Street between Avenues K and 1 in Brooklyn, and people can drop off from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. I have the flyer here. I'm going to I've already tweeted it, but I'll tweet it again under the hashtag LOF1804. They're asking for canned goods, soap and lotion, toothbrushes, toilet paper, sleeping cots, sanitizers, baby and adult pampers, flashlight and batteries, and baby powder. And um, they are not taking new clothing items now. They prefer to take it later in the second shipment. Uh, Drop-off dates are from uh, September 28th to 1st of October. The hashtag is DominicaStrong. And for more info, you can contact the Dominica Consulate General and the Dominica Permanent Mission. And um, the numbers, for, the number for thats nine nine eight four seven eight. And the email is consulateofdominica at gmail.com. Now on the flyer, there are lots of other numbers. It's probably not even useful for me to rattle them off, but you know, so long as you know to contact the Consulate of Dominica, and so long as you know there's a drop-off location is at 1317 East 98th Street between Avenues K and I in Brooklyn. That probably will do it. Um, there's also, I have info for Connecticut drop-off um, places, and so if people are interested, they can let me know. And um, so that's that for Dominica. Now, um, there's politics involved. And actually, that's what we wanted to touch on. We wanted to touch on the politics of that. Um, There's politics both involving Puerto Rico and Dominica. So from Global Voices Online, we found out that um, they're in, in nearby Trinidad, you know, and it's it, I, I think it's good for us Haitians to kind of get the uh, the context of um, politics about migration that don't involve Haitians in the Caribbean sometimes. So um, so, for example, in Trinidad and Tobago, there's been both you know help for the uh you know hurricane ravaged dominica but also um xenophobia vis-a-vis the dominicans that have gone there um to seek refuge and so i'm reading from uh, janine mendes franco at global voices online and she says in the wake of the devastation left by hurricanes irma and and maria trina and tobago along with its neighbors across the caribbean have banded together under the one caribbean hashtag sending supplies and other relief to the islands most adversely affected and creating a sense of community. But solidarity isn't the only thing that the disaster has inspired. After Trinidad and Tobago's prime minister, Keith Rowley, offered accommodation to Dominican hurricane victims whose homes had been destroyed, saying immigration restrictions would be waived for a period of six months, xenophobic comments began to spring up on social media with government critics questioning whether the country should be opened up in a period of economic recession some of the backlash has been perceived as political partisanship many netizens were taken aback at the level of hatefulness and wasted no time in calling it out and of course she goes she goes in on uh, on some of that And um, she says, Keston K. Perry, writing at Wired 868, suggested, however, that the response, while lacking empathy and consideration, could, al- could also be interpreted as a symptom of a deeper sense of disenfranchisement that some Trinbagonians may be feeling at the moment. Um, right. So this is, this is happening in the Caribbean at a time of... Uh, you know recession for some of the countries that are hosting so so we're seeing some some dynamics that we're quite familiar to as Haitians now on the Puerto Rican front oh I, I did want to say also that there there have been some good efforts coming out of Guadeloupe in support of um, those affected by Irma in Dominica and um, I'm translating from some, from a, a, a flyer that was sent to me. Uh, they have a they have a whole solidarity operation for uh, people from Dominica, and uh, that which includes uh, housing. <clears throat> and so I'm translating from French. They're saying that as a result of Irma, there is a uh, there's a real estate agency called a Click Click Mo which uh, has taken the initiative to create uh, an internet portal, irma uh, validated by uh, actually the local government. And uh, so they were able to pull together a file of uh, Guada- a database of Guadeloupeans and Martinicans who are accepting to uh, house uh, for free the those affected by uh those affected by irma in the islands north of them so that probably i I don't know exactly what they are i don't have the map in my head right now but i'm assuming that that includes dominica and more than 1200 guadelupians and martinicans have spontaneously proposed to house uh to offer um you know rooms or sofas to um, To help those who have been affected affected, and that has resulted in about 5,000 spots. So that's you know those islands are not as big as, as Haiti or the bigger Caribbean. So you know 5,000 spots of housing that's that's pretty uh, considerable. So that's um, that's that's the news coming out of Guadeloupe and, and uh, Martinique, uh, and I, I want to give a sense of the regional response to to the um, to the disaster. Now, out of Puerto Rico. Now, Puerto Rico, there's a lot of politics taking place be- because Puerto Rico, as you know, is a, a U.S. protectorate, for lack of a better word. It's not quite a state. I don't know what the official term is for it, but um, it's been quite affected by. Uh, you know, it's particularly affected. It's, it's just come out of a real Greece-like crisis. Um, having to do with, um, you know, its government kind of on the verge of bankruptcy and, uh, you know, uh, having to cut pensions and close universities, et cetera, et cetera. So Irma, uh, and actually Maria, is adding to the problem, uh, or that's the context in which it, it's coming. Um, so in the three minutes that we have, I probably can't go into all of the details, but Um, Category, and this is from um, remezkva.com. Category 4 hurricane made landfall in Puerto Rico on Wednesday with winds of about 155 miles per per hour, nearly strong enough to be considered a Category 5. Hurricane Maria tore through the island before weakening to a Category 2 storm. However, Hurricane Maria strengthened to a Category 3 storm as it made its way to the Dominican Republic. The natural disaster brought torrential rain and flooding and knocked out power to the entire island. Like many countries in the Caribbean, Puerto Rico was still recovering from the effects of Irma, which hit the island about two weeks ago. Immediately after, Puerto Rico began delivering supplies to countries in need. It also welcomed thousands of refugees whose homes were destroyed by Irma from the U.S. Virgin Islands. On September 13th, about 2,000 from St. Martin and the Virgin Islands made their way to Puerto Rico, according to Reuters. With the island expected to go without power for months, Puerto Rico now needs our help. The U.S. territory is in the midst of a financial crisis and already struggling in many ways. It's predicted it's, this storm will have long-lasting effects. Puerto Rico isn't going to be the same, lawyer Migdalia Caratini told The los. Angeles times it's going to be before Maria and after Maria the road to recovery will be long and we need to stand with Puerto Rico during these trying times here are some places you can donate donate money and time to so um, I'm going to tweet the link and it's going to be you are going to be able to find it at kisscast.com and if you're on Twitter you're going to find it at the LOF 1804 hashtag so those places are Con uh, ConPR Con, Con Metidos, Puerto Rican Leadership Council, DC Ricans for Puerto Rico, Caritas Puerto Rico, Emergency Puerto Rico Hurricane Relief Fundraiser, New York drop-off locations. Those will all be in the link. Hurricane Maria Children's Relief Fund, Maria Fund, Blood Drive for Hurricane Victims, Paz para la Mujer, Uh, Carmelo Anthony Puerto Rico Relief Fund, Save Asado, Dogma Bakery, Voices for Puerto Rico. So those are some of them. All right. So that only hits uh, at the surface of the issues of Puerto Rico. There's also this ongoing um, issue that apparently Puerto Rico is just also not receiving a lot of help from the United States itself, despite being... um, Despite being a, uh, I don't know if it's a territory or, or a protectorate, but um, there's. We'll try to maybe touch on that. Maybe we'll ha- I actually try to have a guest on this because these are regional um, uh, forces affecting our our usual, you know, point of interest, which is Haiti, on the show. Um, so, and of course, I've been working a lot with the uh, the Afro Latino community. So it'll be interesting to, to kind of delve more into this issue of Puerto Rico and the United States and how Irma and Maria complicate the existing tensions uh, and pressures on the economy. Uga, am I still being heard?
3: With a little difficulty from my end anyway, the voice, your voice is starting
2: to fade in and out. Well, that's very good to know <laughs> because we're going to, as we're ushering in our, our guests, Um, we're going to take a musical break and hopefully I can fix that during that time. All right, so um, we heard Paul Bourbon, Peuple Invinérable to start out. And as we segue into this literacy segment um, with our guest, Daniel Benoit, who I still need to bring on, I am going to veer to... Um, Paul bobo and uh, Paul papou moi
1: Paul la vie ma papa kol Awol environnement, papa vol, pas moi Bangboletak pile fatra fin, tout adresse La santé pas boupe, c'est un privilège Ma invoie un battante, cap fait la go Tout est bon l'hôpital, papons sans chocho. yeah Mais faut que ça change Parole education, papa role, pas role, Par pas papa role, moi Moi puis pi papa role, papa role, papa role, papa fini papa role, papa role, papa role, papa ça quitte role, papa role, papa dit papa faut que ça papa Government, papa, roll, papa, roll, papa, roll, papa, politique, pas parole, papa, roll, Moi, roll, papa, 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 roll, Parole ONG, papa, vol pa pas moi. Parole ministre, papa, voilà pas moins. Dis-Marie à Joseph, c'est j'ai vête. 10 millions de dollars, papou avadra. Sous-guengoubouda wagoute de là. T'en y a l'eau dix ans pour reconstruction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm. Fox ça.
2: of 1804. This is uh, September 29, 2017. We are entering our second hour. I would appreciate getting feedback on um, whether my voice is sounding better now. And uh, before I welcome our guest, Daniel Benoit, who is executive director of the Flamboyant Literacy Project out in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I do want to say that I, I got um, some clarification. I, I kept saying, we don't know what the status of Puerto Rico is. We just know it's not a state. Um, and uh, Puerto Rico's official status is that of an associated state. There, one elected member of Congress is an observer, and he and she does not vote. And Puerto Ricans born on the island are American citizens. And I'd like to thank uh, Hugues who was here with us uh, during the first hour, for those details. So my guest tonight, uh, who we are very happy to bring on after having been in talks for, I don't know, months, to be able to do the show, uh, thanks to our good friend, Nathalie Pierre. Uh, well, uh, my guest is Darnell Benoit, who is executive director of the Flamboyant Literacy Project. Darnell, are you here with us?
0: Yes, I am.
2: All right, this is great. Um, Are you hearing me fine? Yes. Wonderful, yeah, we can hear you uh, very clearly as well. So let me offer some background first on uh, Flamboyant from your website before we delve in. The Flamboyant Mm -hmm. Haitian Literacy Project has assisted hundreds of Haitian newcomer youth in New York City public uh, public high schools since it was founded in 2005. Wow, so you're already 12 years old. We ensure Haitian newcomer youth 14 to 21 years old are appropriately placed in high schools that support their ability to remain in school and graduate. Our out-of-school time programs develop their capacity as productive citizens through youth and leadership development activities that build their self-esteem and nurture their voices. Now, how, how amazing is that? <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, uh, it's a work so in and, uh, it's a work in progress. Okay, but uh, it's a twelve-year work in progress. Uh, I see that That's you are name. the executive director. Uh, Nancy Adolf is the case manager. Chani Dan Romelus is the outreach coordinator, and your board members are Natalie Pierre, who is the one who uh, reached out to me to to do the show, Fédia Louis. Uh, Marie Telusma, Najeli Adictus, and Ralph Peggy. So that is really, really cool. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And um, that place, look, my uh, experience of Flamboyant has been that I've been there for meetings. There's a CTMD meeting. So that place is a community center. I know that that's where you also host the Ticlosian Batonel on Fridays. Am I correct? hmm Yeah,
0: not like mm-hmm. me. Another
2: group. No, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, not you, but it appears that several different community groups um hold events there yes. is the point. So you have yes. a community center of sorts, certainly a space uh that houses and welcomes people uh, doing um cultural uh cultural Definitely. events. Yeah, different things uh, mm-hmm. as well. Yes, as well as people who you know uh so as as well as something like Ticlosin Batonel and So um, and 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 that and of course, but your main uh, your the main thing you do is this literacy project. Tell us um, tell us about it. Tell us tell us how it got started. First of all.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, it's pretty much a short story. It's uh, a flamboyant hate literacy project. I'm the founder and director of the organization and uh, we were founded in 2005 and just because as a teacher as an adult education teacher uh, for 15 years or so i noticed a problem immigrant students were um, getting were leaving high school and ending up in an adult program and adult education is basically for anyone 18 and up uh, for immigrants trying to uh, learn English, get a GED if they didn't complete edu- uh, their education in the country and learn uh, other skills. So, as a teacher, I would encounter young immigrants in my English classes. I'm an ESL teacher, and uh, it would bother me. So, I always talk to the students and find out what their stories were. And basically, they were pushed out of out of high school, hadn't learned English, therefore didn't graduate, and would end up in a in an um in an adult uh, program at night. And those programs, usually they're not for young people. They're for older people uh, who are working during the day and looking to better their lives. I mean, they're great programs, but not for young people. So these young people, I would, um, I would advise them, this is not for you. You need to go back to high school. You need to go to high school and finish high school, because you want, you, uh, young people really don't succeed in an adult program, because there are only a couple of hours um, during the week, so they, they need more. So it started like that, and over the years encountered so many kids like that. I left the country, came back to uh, to New York, and went back to teaching, and it was the same. So by 2003, I was like, okay, that's a problem. And I worked in all um, different immigrant uh, communities. New York is a city of immigrants, so I've worked in different immigrant communities, in other education programs, community programs, and it was that same issue. So when I started to ask around, I'm like, okay, what's going on? Why is this? And started to really investigate and research, and I found out, okay, Department of Education, public schools, these students, uh, they tend to be, they were older, uh, the schools were pushing them out just because they didn't want someone who was 19 or 18 in their schools who wasn't going to graduate, they didn't have enough credit, and these immigrant students and families uh, didn't know their rights, they didn't know they had the right to stay in school till they were 21 because the school really doesn't tell you that, and they don't know the system doesn't tell you. So it was a combination of all those things. Uh, so I had always worked in my Haitian community as a young person in high school here and through college and so forth. So I just decided to focus in the uh, in my own community because these were also issues uh, in the, that were going on in the community when I spoke to uh, community leaders who would tell me, oh, yes, this is what's going on and so forth. So that's how the organization started in uh, trying to find a solution to those kids we were pushing out. I started going to registration with families, doing outreach in the community with families uh, that had uh, children coming in and to find out exactly what's at the heart of it. How come the students weren't, you know, uh, finishing high school? How come they they were being pushed out? And the solution, the problem that I found out was it was the entry point into the system. It was the high school enrollment process for immigrant students that really sucked. Uh, it still does. We have a campaign going on now that really the people working in those offices really don't care. They really would not. They really didn't take into consideration the student's age, their education, their um, their background, and so forth in doing the high school placement. So that was just the beginning of it. So uh, basically, that's the organization. Our work is really to do severe, strong outreach in the community. Get those those families as they enter the country, and then we help them, guide them through the whole high school element process in New York City, and that's what we've taken to all immigrant communities in New York City. So as they enter that first step into the system, that is a good placement because there are many, many schools in New York City. There are uh, 1,300 schools, 700 high schools. So to pick a high school is really, uh, it's a big decision, it's a big problem, and you need to know the high school. So that's the beginning of the organization. And from there, it's uh, connecting the student with leadership activities inside the organization.
2: So am I hearing correctly then that you're not, yes, can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Yes. So am I hearing correctly then that, yes, am I hearing correctly then that you're not just working with the Haitian community?
0: Yes, I'm working with the Haitian community because we work on immigrant education reform in my community and citywide. So we work with other immigrant communities because all okay. immigrant right, communities right. Face, the, face the same problem of high school and women when their families, their children are coming in to enter the 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 high schools here the public high schools here so we work with all communities we we do education awareness on that issue for for uh, communities that don't know so they could be aware mm-hmm. and be ready on what to do when they're going to the enrollment to the high school enrollment process so we're part of uh, yeah a big uh, collaborative uh, of immigrant communities working on education so we can better uh, education for immigrant students I mean this is our work is just that beginning entry point, different groups are working on different things, but the whole um, public school system for immigrant students really, really has, uh, has, uh, has problems and struggles with educating immigrant students at the high school level.
2: Okay. So, but at Flamboyant, at you work specifically with uh, Haitian students,
0: with, correct? Yes, yes, with Haitian uh, newcomer students, yes, at the high school level.
2: All right. So, so this is great. Uh, this is this is quite amazing. And uh, you've been doing this for 12 years. Have you have? How are you finding that you're able to reach out to um, to, to, to Haitian parents of these the of the affected children to sensitise them to some of these issues? Are you able to also educate the parents, or are you focusing mostly on the on the children?
0: Yeah, I mean, we focus on the youth. We're a youth membership, youth organization, but of course uh, the parents bring the youth, so therefore the parents also are educated and so forth and get the information. So in our community, we have uh, really strong outreach in the community to to get the families who are uh, receiving the who are bringing their children here into into the country. So that's the first thing. So we have uh, two, we have a weekly radio show for outreach. And then we're, uh, we're uh, in the community, and we're lucky we've been around for 12 years. We have strong, strong support from the community. We're very visible. We're right in the heart of the community. So there's always someone word of mouth saying, okay, you need to go to Flamboyant if you have a child coming in and so forth. So we're very lucky in that. But, you know, still, we still miss many kids. But we, 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 do, we do a great job of uh, reaching out to different places, different people, and so forth. Even our own members, they reach out to, uh, to their friends, to families, and so forth that are coming in, so they can get that, uh, that placement. Because for us, in our work for the past 12 years, we've seen the success. We know, we've, we've visited so many high schools. We know the school. We know the system. So we know the schools that, are, that have success with immigrant students. So those schools, we have relationships with them, and then we advocate for uh, those students to enter those schools. I mean, it's a very segregated system, and uh, the the schools in our communities, they're not necessarily the best schools for us. Our students have to travel in New York City. Uh, you don't have to, you're not restricted to your zone school. So many people don't know that. So we do a lot of awareness and education around that in the community, in the community, around uh, the high school process and your rights as, as parents and uh and students. So you're not restricted to your zone school. You can go to school anywhere in New York City. You can be in Brooklyn, go to school in Manhattan, you can be in Brooklyn and go to school in uh in Queens, in um in in, uh, in the Bronx and so forth. So it gives us even more access to schools because often the schools in, you know, in, in our neighborhood, the black, low-income, immigrant, brown people, and so forth, they just don't work sometimes. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And especially for an immigrant student that has to uh, learn English, catch up in, in, in knowledge and content, and pass high-stakes ex- exams. It's really, really important because if you don't pass the state exam, then you're, you're not, um, you don't receive a high school diploma. And in order for you to pass the state exams, you need to be in a very supportive environment, a very supportive school that can really meet your needs. Everybody's unique. Everybody is unique. The school has to be able to meet every student where they're at. And some schools cannot do that. Some schools do a better job at that. So we want our students to be in the schools that are very supportive, that can support them in after-school programs, in Saturday programs, that can, that can give them all the tools they need to be successful. Because we've seen it. We've seen the schools who do that. So our work is really informing the parents, letting the parents know it's okay because, of course, as an immigrant, it's really hard for parents to get their, to let the children go as they come in. So we have students who come. Let's, for example, a student who came last week, Ha, has to get on the train right now to go into the city to school. Some parents don't like it, but our job is to, is to let you know, you know what? The school next door is not the best school for your child, okay? So the parents are trusting us without, with, with, with guiding them because the system itself is, is not doing that. So we feel very privileged and very excited to be able to help parents navigate the this, uh, this system.
2: All right. A legacy of 1804. We're speaking to Daniel Benoît, founder and executive director of Sombouyan, the Sombouyan Haitian Literacy Project. We're finding it's funny because here it is. I thought that this was uh, a project for adult literacy, and so it's very interesting that you're actually <laughs> focusing. <coughs> yeah, it's very interesting that you're actually focusing on young people navigating public schools who are recent immigrants. Obviously, you know, when we're not talking here yes. about. Haitian children born in the U.S. We're talking about um, no, children who've arrived no. here, who've received the beginning of their schooling in, um, and, and and maybe sometimes even no schooling. Uh, am I correct? Sometimes mm-hmm. some of the uh, yeah, children sometimes, that yes, sometimes have mm-hmm. no schooling.
0: Sometimes no schooling. Sometimes you know uh, not a lot of schooling, and sometimes not so good schooling. So it's uh, our students is uh, it's, it's, we work with a very specific population. We work with a newcomer population. So newcomers are uh, considered someone who's been here less than five years. So our youth have been here less than five years, and as uh, as as recent as yesterday. So these students, sometimes often, were the first people they meet, who are just like themselves, who speak like themselves, and they get to be in a safe space. And understand that me too, I was in a situation like when I was 13 years old and I learned English. I went to school. I feel the a solution that comes with being a new immigrant in the school. But you know what? You can do it. The world started like that. I was in like
2: that. So to me, for whatever reason, For whatever reason, Darnell, you're, you're fading yeah. out. Could you be speaking away from your phone for, for whatever reason? Could you speak back into your phone again?
0: yes is that better
2: yes much better hello go ahead yes that's yes. much better yeah so and if you could backtrack many... backtrack oh. about uh, about one minute so that we can get what we <laughs> okay. missed
0: yeah sure so for many of our students this is you know the first group of people that they're meeting and then you know we, we speak Haitian creole just like them we are just like them i was I'm just like them because I came here when I was 13 years old and faced the isolation, not speaking English and so forth. But we did it. Nancy is just like them. Everyone who works there, our supporters, our our uh, environment is just like them. So these students early on, they're understanding that I can do it. Oh my God, I can go to high school, I can finish. It's not gonna be easy, it's gonna be challenging, but we are here to support the students because Part of going to school is also the students have leadership activities that connect them with their the new community, their new environment, their school communities, because they get to learn about the the what we're working on. Our issue, which is education, which is high school enrollment for, for, for immigrants, because you know how everyone has this notion, okay, I'm coming to America, everything is gonna be wonderful and great. And then the first barrier is enrolling in high school And they're realizing, oh, my God, it's not what I thought. It's not going to be all great and woozy and wonderful. So early on, they learn that. So they get to learn. We educate them. We we have political education, all that stuff to make them understand your education is you. You have to set up for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to take charge of your education. And we have to change things for students who are coming after you. How are we going to change the system? How are we going to change the, uh, the high school enrollment process to better serve students so students could be like yourself, like yourself, can have that good placement? So it's very um, empowering for the students to learn those things first on. Yes, you're in a new community. Uh, you're going to learn many things. Not everything is great. There are very good, positive things, and also there are many negative things. There's the negative things, how are we going to come together to change them?
2: Wonderful, wonderful. I, I'd like to encourage um, our listeners to engage with our guest, Daniel Benoit, if they have questions. To do so, uh, the number is 714-242-6119. 714-242-6119. And um, Ude, I closed your line, but if you wanted to, if you if you wanted to participate in this conversation. Uh, just press one, and I will reopen it. So, um, but moving right along, Darnell, let's, mm-hmm. um, let's look at, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about whether the recent crises with, um, did you get, did you have more work when, um, when the TPS um, grantees started arriving after the 2010 earthquake or no?
0: Um, no, I mean, not too much because for people to understand, like after the earthquake, the students, the young people that came right after the, the earthquake were students who already maybe had a visa or students who were, um, they were born here and family sent them back to Haiti. So those are really the bulk of the kids that came, that came to the state. I mean, after the earthquake, people just didn't come just to come. That didn't happen.
2: It was the families who had
0: uh, kids living in Haiti. that They had sent them to Haiti, and then after the earthquake, they, send, they, they, uh, they sent for them, of course, uh, to come here. Or kids who already had a visa who came. But no one came uh, just like that. It's later on, of course, because TPS happened for the, the, the people who received TPS, like the young people or the Haitian community, they were already here. So TPS is because, okay, something happened to your country, now there's a natural disaster and you can't go back. So the people were here already. So there wasn't like, you know, like a big, huge number of uh, ki- kids that came. Of course, families decided the ones, the families that had kids in Haiti, of course, sent for them. And uh, we saw that in, uh, in the community. But it wasn't like an extremely uh, big number of kids. Um, of students, But we were happy for the students that we did uh, welcome into the community, we were happy to be in the community for these students to come to a community of young people like themselves, and uh, because in a disaster like that, school is the thing that uh, really is the equalizer, makes you feel like, okay, things are okay because that's the norm. I was in school, and I'm gonna continue to be in school, I'm gonna meet friends, I'm gonna be with other people like me. So, of course, we were very happy that we were in existence when that happened.
2: All right, and um, Darnell, how can people who want to help um, contribute to the Frambois Haitian Literacy Project, how can they do that? I see you have a tab for getting involved on your website. Uh, but generally speaking, what is the most helpful to you?
0: Uh, well, there are many ways. I mean, we're a community-based, not-for-profit organization, so we have many, many needs. Uh, we we do a lot <laughs> with, uh, with 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 not very much. So. Uh, in a couple of weeks, about three weeks, we're having our annual fundraiser, which is great. This is when people can contribute and donate to the organization. There are different ways to donate. We're always looking for volunteers, people who can help us not only support the young people, but also support the organization itself. We have a campaign going on right now so people can connect like that, not only to learn about the issue, connect with us and help us in the, in the work of the campaign. Campaign work is, is a lot. So there are different activities and different ways that people can connect and share the campaign and let people know about us. So these are the different ways that people can help. Uh, We're always looking for volunteers. We get uh, volunteers to, to help students, especially like right now, we need uh, volunteers to help um, young people with the college essays to, with that process because college applications are soon and we like to support. But of course, we're a small staff, there is so much that we can do. So people who have you know, good skills and can you know, help a young person with their essays, this is something that's very, um, very valuable. Someone who can help with, with, with English. Uh, with ELA, someone who can help students with uh, SAT prep. So there are different ways that people can connect. People can um, not only share our information, go on our website smaboyan.org, and see the different uh, what you can do because education is, is is the key to to all doors. And uh, our work maybe you know other groups that we may not know, other immigrant groups that we can uh, connect with and share the work. And let them know. Is this going on in your community? This is some information. We have a, a campaign. There's a poster right on the website. Take a look at the poster. Learn about the issues because the campaign. We need everyone involved to make those uh, to to help us uh, change the what to to help us get what we what we need because uh, our campaign is special because it's not legislation. It's not um, you know uh, the, the, the council people. It's not you know, anything big that's going to come and, and help us and save us is basically the people at the Department of Education. And, you, and we all know changing institutions, changing minds It's something that's like really, really, really difficult. I mean, we work closely with the Department of Education. We work with the decision makers, the leaders, and so forth. But the more people we have that's with us, that support us in this campaign, that can help us um, move forward, then the better it is. So there are different ways that people can connect. You can call us, 718-774-3037. We're happy to talk to you. You can stop by. We love it. Flamboyant, I mean, you've been there, Ali, Flamboyant, it's like a, a it's family. When people come, they feel like, oh, my God, it feels like, you know, I'm home. It's the kind of space. Stop by and visit. If you're around 208 Parkside Avenue, second floor, where right across the street from the subway, which is great, the q to Parkside, stop by and come and say hi. Come and learn about us and learn about this issue because people don't know if you're not an immigrant it's the same thing about immigration and so forth if you're not an immigrant you don't have immigrant friends you're not like in the immigrant circle you really don't know about immigrant education uh what's going on in the school immigrant education reform and so forth immigrant students have the same standards as everybody that's here if you come in in high school at 17 you have to pass all those exams like everybody else uh you you have to do everything that everybody else does. You have to, you have to get all the credits. There's a lot that goes on. sometimes you don't get the help uh, that you need. Uh, the schools are not equipped to really you know um, help you. Uh, sometimes uh, people, I mean the lack of respect, sometimes the the misunderstanding with cultures and so forth. So there is a lot that goes on and not enough money is spent on um on the schools in our community to support uh immigrant students. For example, uh immigrant students don't have access to all programs that the general population kids will have. If you're 17 uh in the general population kids you're failing high school you can transfer to what they call a transfer school that gives you another option of um you know smaller classes smaller school very guided education you can uh, work go to uh, go to school a skill and so forth and those programs are successful and guess what immigrant students can go to this program they can't just because they don't have programs that can help them to continue learn english we want to change that we want for immigrant students to have access to all the programs, to all the different opportunities that uh, the general population has. It's very important. So when when immigrant students are failing in the school, they just leave them. They just fail. There's no one there to catch them to say, OK, you can go to this program. You can go to that program. There isn't that, because that program will take them. The small schools, when Bloomberg came and uh, closed many of the big high schools that had bilingual programs and all kinds of programs to help immigrants, and they did the small schools, and I'm sure you guys, uh, listeners, they've heard them, how they have four schools in one building. Well, there was one school there that was serving a different uh, a community, like the Chinese community in Lafayette High School or the Haitian community in children high school that had bilingual programs. When those schools close and they have the, the new schools in them, they don't, those programs don't come back. They totally disappear. And what happened to those kids in that community? Now they don't have access to the bilingual programs anymore. So in the Haitian community, there used to be six Haitian bilingual Creole programs. Now there's only one left. The Chinese don't have any because they're all closed. So it's all those issues that uh, gave immigrant students, you know, some um, that really helped them to be a bit more successful and catch up with, with their peers quick, uh, quick, uh, quickly. That doesn't exist anymore. People don't know those things. So all that is the more that we learn about those things. Immigrant students have the lowest graduation rate. Okay, immigrant students, thirty-one percent graduation rate to seventy-three of the of seventy-three percent of the uh, general population, and that just went up. It used to be sixty-seven, and now seventy-three. It's not great, but for immigrant students, we are at the bottom of the pyramid. So what can we do? to get those immigrant students to graduate? How can we support them? How can the city, is their job, is the D- Department of Education DOE's job to support those students for them to graduate? So that's a huge problem. 15% of the population, of the, of the immigrant population, uh, it, the, the, yeah, there is 1.1 million students, 15% of the students are immigrant students and a big uh the second biggest population of immigrant students they're in they're in high school so how is this is the end of education what's the department of education doing to help those three four thousand students in high school for them to graduate Immigrant students don't have access to what they call CTE, which is Career Technical Education. Those are the schools that offer programs like plumbing and, um, uh, to, and how to be an electrician and different you know, technology you know, careers. Immigrant students cannot go to those schools because they said they don't have uh, programs to support them to learn English. So there is a lot they don't have access to where other students have access to those programs and they can learn a skill. And the DOE wants to push you know college ready. everybody, wants, everybody has to go to college. But that's not a reality. It's not for everybody. So immigrant students are really, really, really left out. So how can we change? How can we raise the graduation rate uh, for immigrant students? There are many ways to do that. For us Sammboyan, one way to do that is for immigrant students to be placed in the most adequate school environment that can support them because there are many failing schools in the system, and everyone in New York City is fighting for, for, for an adequate space, right, in the school system. It's not easy. Every parent has a problem with the public school education when it comes to high school. Not everybody gets to go to the school that they want. Not everybody gets to go to the school of their choice, even though in New York City there is what they call parent choice. But the immigrant students, they don't have parent choice. They, when you go and register for school, they'll give you any school, and usually the any school is the school that no one wants, the school that don't that, that has no that's not full yet, that's empty. And those schools, they're not they're empty for a reason. <laughs> they're empty because the kids, students from you know coming out of a grade the regular population are not choosing to go to the, school, the schools for a reason. So all those things I think we want for everybody to learn about immigrant education in New York City.
2: Alright, legacy of 1804, we're speaking to Daniel Benoit. So am I hearing Donnell based on all the questions you, you asked about what is the Department of Education doing, what is the Board of Ed doing? Um, are you also involved in advocacy and lobbying or are you Narrowly Just focused, advocacy,
0: uh-huh. um, yeah, advocacy city level. So, we, okay. of course, we, we 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 work with the Office of um, English Language Learners, that's a department that uh, serves and you know focuses on immigrant students. So, we bring on all those issues to them, and we want them to fix it. <laughs> we want them to fix those those problems for uh for New York City because New York City is a city of immigrants, and we deserve better. We want for all of our students to be successful, not just a few.
2: All right, that's, that's really good to hear. Do you want to share a little bit, you said that you were yourself one of those students um, at some point that you arrived here at the age of 13. Do you want to share a little bit of your story and what you faced and um, what resources, if any, were available to you then and how maybe that experience is, is what inspired you to start Fomboillon?
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely that experience uh, inspired me to start Somboyan just because, I mean, when I came here in the 80s, there wasn't any, there wasn't an organization like Fomboian. I wish there was. So I always dreamt of that for, <laughs> for the community. But I was lucky. When I came here, uh, my family, I had older cousins here. They were able to support me in school. So that was a great thing. So that's another thing. Many immigrant families don't have that. Many immigrant students don't have that. They have their parents who are working all day who, of course, putting food on the table, paying rent, paying the bill. That, that, that's very important. Parents have to do that. So the kids are left with, without anyone to support them and help them. So I was one of the lucky ones. I had older cousins who were here, but they had completed school in Haiti, and they were in university here, so they were able to help me. But my experience with the public schools, for me, it was a great experience. I went to to school that supportive people, but that was back in the 80s, and many uh, many things changed. And I think my generation of immigrant students, like friends like myself, we we always talk about how there was more back then, and it's the same. It's the thing like uh, the more we know, the less we do. So this is the situation here. Back in the 80s, there were many, many, many resources. There was much, much more uh, vibrant uh, learning situation, bilingual programs everywhere. I grew up in Queens, so I wasn't in Brooklyn. All those programs were in Brooklyn, but we had other strong programs in, uh, in Queens. Uh, went to high school, went to college. It was great. And basically, I want the same thing for everyone. I want everyone to be able to go to a, a school that can support them, that can help them. And then be whoever you want be with your full potential. So this is, my story is, definitely has inspired me to show not only the community and those uh, newcomer students that, listen, I, I, I'm just like you. I, we've, I've been there, you know, I didn't speak English, it wasn't comfortable, there was isolation and so forth, but you're not alone. I think the one of the best things about saint and what to me is amazing, is the support. I think when you come here and you don't know anyone, it's really hard. Our students, they come here, they get to meet other students who, already, who are in the school that they're about to go. So from the, from the beginning, they already know someone. To me, that is wonderful. I love that. Because by knowing someone already, that first day of school is not awkward. Because that, that, that student that you met in some point who's already in your school is going to support you. Who's gonna? He's gonna. He or she's going to welcome you into the school and and help you. So that's a great thing. I didn't have that. And to me, uh, for anyone who's been, you know, you leave your country, you know, a young adult, you're leaving a lot behind your life, your friends, and so forth. You're coming into a community, uh, a school system that be, that's very different from your own. There's a lot to learn, especially at the high school level, especially when you enter. You're an older student. You're 17 and you're 18. And by the way, you can go to high school when you're 18, and that's what we recommend, even though the schools don't want, don't, uh, don't like that. But by law, you have the right to go to school till you're 21. So we fight for that. We make sure that the schools understand that. We're coming to your school, okay, and she's 18 and she's 19, and there's nothing you can do about it. So all that is very important for me, for the students to connect with each other, so there and that sense of isolation and that that sense of like oh my god I'm frustrated I don't understand I don't want to because immigrant students drop out also the dropout rates are high because they feel you know there's no one there to to support them no one understands them no one you know is giving them what what, what they what they need because for us in, in immigrant communities I mean we there's a lot involved many students have to work. Sometimes you know there isn't that connection like in after school and you know, you're know you in clubs and so forth. So there's a lot that comes with that, and we understand that. I think culturally, uh, many schools don't understand that. But it's part of life. Many kids have to work to, to help out. So we think that Flubwire uh, being there, we're a resource, okay? We're here to give you information, uh, resources, opportunities that sometimes the schools don't have. We have partnerships with schools. Uh, in our community, and it, it's great because we get to visit the schools, we get to um, connect with the students that we place in the schools, we know the teachers in the schools, we know the staff in the schools. So there is a connection that uh, they understand that if, 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 if the school wants to communicate something, they can call us and we can be there and support the school because we believe it's, you know, school, community, parents. Families, all that has to be, it, has to be together. Has to work together for like the 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 um, ideal situation. And sometimes, when we help parents, with sometimes the support, yes, cannot come from home. That's not a problem. It's good to be connected with outside help. We're not-for-profit. We're community-based organizations. We'll support your child for you. That's not a problem because coming to Zimbabwe, you're gonna get resources. You're gonna meet other people. We have. All kinds of different activities where kids can connect we have a radio show we have cultural uh haitian dance we have um uh, general meetings so students are connecting in different ways. we have political education we have um uh, uh, popular theater we have poetry workshops so there is something for everyone that you can connect immediately and be part of um of a group and be part of your new community and to me it is it, very valuable it's very valuable in many ways because you get to uh, talk to other people you get to meet new people we we work with different communities with different people that are different than than you so students are exposed and they get to explore so much more outside of their school outside of their um outside of their homes
2: all right legacy of 1804 and how many how many students Uh, At a given time, um, do you basically have around every year?
0: Every year we have about like 300 to 250 students because our Mm -hmm. students, and the the best thing is we have our students for the time they're in high school and beyond. So students who come to us and they come here at 15, we'll know them till they graduate. And they'll go over to college and come back. So we have our students for a long time, so that's special because we have time to really connect. We really have time to really connect and help the students to really uh, understand their new lives and um, and take full advantage of all opportunities, like within high school. Our students they don't really get they not just get to stay with flamboyant. We connect them with different organizations. We have like a group of students who. Who, go, who went to a leadership training last, uh, actually this year, for new immigrants. So that's great. So our students, if in school, didn't get those, those uh, opportunities. Our girls, uh, over the summer, they got to go to cd Leadership Group for Girls. It's a program for girls. So if they didn't know us, the school won't give them that information. They won't connect like that. So we get to connect with other groups. We get to connect with other different programs. Right now we have a great program going on with um, the and Arts Council. So our students get to be a part of different uh, situations, different opportunities, and different ways, you know, to really get to know the city, get to know themselves, and really develop their voice. We've made a film about our issue, about high school enrollment with Global Action Project. Uh, we work with the New York Immigration Coalition with different immigrant groups. We're in the Bronx with working with different, I mean, it's just like amazing that these young people get to get out of their uh, comfort zone, get out to, they get to get out of their own community and really connect and to see that, you know, we're all immigrants. We, it's, it, the struggle is real when it comes to high school. So this is something that's very, very important to us that our students get to connect with other immigrant youth like themselves that are facing the same issues. It's not just Haitian, the Haitian community that's having a hard time with high school enrollment. It's everybody, it's the Russian, It's the Chinese, It's the, you know, the different um Latino kids from, from all over South America that are coming here and having all those, uh, all those problems. So it's a great way for students to learn about the system here, to learn about the, the really not only about the education system here, and really the politics here, because uh, we're, we're coming from a different perspective, a different country. So when they, when they come here, it's learning the land. And that's why uh, our, our name is Haitian Literacy Project. Uh, the literacy is not used as, uh, you know, learning to read and write, because that's how people usually, you know, think of literacy. But it's literacy in the sense of uh, Paulo Freire, which is, it's learning the world. You're going to learn the world around you. It's not just about reading and math. In school, you have to know how to use a computer. you have to learn how to travel around. you have to learn how you know how the the city works, who's who. you have to learn everything so that's the literacy we bring to our to our students. learning the land, learning everything that's around you to be a full citizen so that's very important for us and to learn that you have options, you have plenty of opportunities. you can go places so this is literacy in that sense for us
2: Wow amazing yeah very very interesting to find out what your concept of literacy is so mm-hmm. what what um, comes to mind is that mm-hmm. obviously a lot of the issues faced by um, the youth who come to your center are faced by Haitian immigrant youth all over the country and specifically in Florida. Do you do you work at all with some of the organizations? Are there organizations following your model in, um, in Florida and Boston and other heavily Haitian populated cities?
0: <laughs> oh my God, Alice, we get that question all the time. People call us and ask, when are you going to be in Florida? When are you going to be in Spring Valley? When are you going to be in Boston? We need an organization like this to, you know, guide us and so forth. Unfortunately, we're not. We're just in New York City, like people from New Jersey, they call us all the time. And as much as, you know, we try to help, but it's a different state. It's different everywhere. But we're happy. We've talked to groups in New Jersey, group people in Boston, even California in Spring Valley. We tell them, do it, you know? It's a great way to welcome immigrants, you know, learn from us, and not just Haitian communities. I'm talking about different immigrant communities that are like, wow, we need something out in our community, so we welcome that definitely. Uh, in African communities, we have African uh, different uh, African people who always come to us like, oh my God, this is great. We need this for our, for our community. I'm like, yeah, we we share information, we guide them definitely. Uh, education I mean that's it, 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 it's it's important it's the, it, it it's really really important coming here i mean all over the world it's important, but we want young people to understand life doesn't stop when you move from one country to another if you're in your country, your parents will do everything for you to continue your education so when you come here the same the same thing needs to happen, and that's all around so organizations, people are always interested, and we always tell them, you are welcome to use our model. We're give, we we're happy to speak to you, to give you the information, and to see how to go about, you know, beginning, you know, study your, your organization for your community to serve, you know, that, that population in terms of uh, educational resources and so forth.
2: And uh, in the last few minutes that we have before we close the show, uh, and uh, of mm-hmm. course, <laughs> anybody has any questions kind of the time has passed to ask them but this <laughs> is really the last call as it's ten fifty-one. Mm-hmm. um but tell us a little bit about college you what as a result of what you're able to do what um what what has been your experience with um um youth from flamboyant going to college or or not because as you said some people actually uh, are, are better exactly. off in a, in, a, in a vocational program. but m- moving it, on into mm-hmm. life, tell us a little what uh, what you've witnessed.
0: Oh my God, like over the years it's been it's been great. The students who are able to, to go to college go to college, many students stay in the city, they go to CUNY. Many students are able, because culturally, uh, the Haitians, they don't like the kids to go away. But the parents were able to, you know, to overcome that. Students go away to SUNY. They go away all over. So we've had, uh, I mean, we're tiny. It's, it's, It's not very easy for us to track the number of students who've gone to college, but many have gone to college. Because we're in the community, so we're aware of, you know, we stay in touch. So uh, many students have, have gone to, uh, to college and back. And the best thing about going to college and back, all the students, as soon as they get back and they're done, they call from Brian, They say, Donnell, can we volunteer? Nancy, can I volunteer? Because they are done with college and back home in New York, and they want to support. The ones that are here, they support. We have many, many supporters. We call them alumni. Many students who come back. So there is a lot of success. Of going to college and we have students who go on to advanced degrees and we have students who who have um, uh, graduated high school and we're happy we're happy that they made it that they've graduated high school and they're able to go in on a trade we have a lot of that and that's wonderful many young men have become electricians they've become uh, plumbers they've become like you know the cable people who do all our cable wiring and so forth and that's great because What we want people to understand is that you have to, you have two open doors. You have options. What's unacceptable is for you to just sit there, not trying to finish school, not trying to get a high school diploma, and not trying to learn a trade. So we want for young people to understand college is not for everyone. That's the reality of it, and that's uh, that's real. It's not for everyone, but you have to decide. You know what you're gonna do. I mean, the perfect example for me is a young man that he just stopped by yesterday, and he became an EMT. He went to college. He didn't. He couldn't do it. He didn't like it. And he's like, you know, is there something else that I can do, and so forth. And we were sitting in the office one day, and then the bell rang, and there was this organization that was coming around doing outreach for EMTs. And my God, he's the best EMT. Okay, he loves his job. He studied, passed the exam, and now he's moved on to the fire fire department EMT. So stories like that I love because college is not for everyone, but you find something that you love and you go and do it.
2: Indeed. Okay, so we have a a question. Um, Uig, I've opened your line.
3: Uh, Hi, Alice. Hi, good evening, I have a a more in-house question regarding Flamboyana. First of all, congratulations. My hat's off to you. Uh, What you're doing uh, is just phenomenal. Thank you for having the vision. Thank you for seeing through. Um, But as we say, having great ideas are great. Having the means to bring our ideas to fruition is even greater. So to that end, I'm curious as to what kind of resources you, you tapped into in, in, from the beginning and what, how have you sustained your organization uh, in terms of resources? Uh, oh my many God. How <laughs> staff members uh, you have, what's what, uh, what your budget or payroll like? Uh, just so you don't have to be you know, exact, just some ballpark figures.
0: Yeah. And, and more importantly, yeah, I uh, mean...
3: what kind of resources you were able to tap into?
0: yeah so from the beginning, it was uh, volunteer based when we started the organization, like the first year. And then within the first year, i was it was just me and I was working. I was a teacher. and then within the first year, we were able to secure you know like our first grant, very small grant. And from there, I think uh, the support from the community, we have uh, great individual donors that make contribution to the organization because it's an investment. And uh, we have, like, uh, great support. I have a great mentor. Like, it was an organization that I volunteered with when I was uh, in college. They have, they've gone through it themselves, and they've showed me the way. So that has helped me a lot. Because in community-based, not-for-profit organizations, I can tell you, many of the organizations that started in 2005, they're not here, they're they're not around anymore. Because what happens, people burn out because you want to be famous. You want to be huge, and then nothing is in, is in place. So I've had to learn from my mentor: take your time, build the, yep. really build the organization, and then you're gonna get the fruit. And that's exactly what happened. It was. What's well, really step funny step is, yeah, step. people have a
2: tendency to start in a very grandiose way, right? And they want to exactly. You know, so
0: and it doesn't it, it work out like that. Exactly. Yeah, it sounds
2: like you took on just what you could chew when you could chew, right? As opposed exactly. to exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And then we get funding. I mean, oh my God, all I do is beg for money and I'm about, this is our fundraising season. Okay. So please. Go to our website, listeners, friends, please share our information, I'll Alice, thank you so much for the opportunity to share this information. And people can connect. Donations can be whatever. And we, on, our, on our website, you see all the funders. There are a lot of city funders. We get money from our uh, council people in our district. We get lots of good individual donors, we have great sponsors. Someone has really a modest budget, and you know in in the organizations, there are lots of bills to pay, and we couldn't be here without our community, without the support from the community, without the families who I mean everything is uh, is free, but you see these families coming with their little envelope and say, this is for the organization." So we appreciate everything. So it's really like a big effort. Our board. Natalie, Marie, Fedia, and we have two youth members on the board. The, the, the young people fundraise. They're about to have a movie night for fundraising. So everybody is involved in the fundraising of the organization, and we love that because the young people have taken ownership. They understand what organization is, what it has given to them, and they want to contribute. So everyone, it's an effort from everyone. All of our volunteers Everyone does something. Our fundraiser is October 21st at Tinam Lounge. That's also a donated space for us. So we try. (laughs) It's a lot of asking uh, for uh, people for stuff. It's it's, it's Atlantic Avenue, uh, Corner of Vanderbilt. It's a great event. Our youth perform. We laugh. We eat. And everybody goes home happy, happy met new no friends and so forth. So um Alice, you're invited, your your guests here who's with you is invited, everybody's invited. Please come and support immigrant youth, the listeners, please come and support us and learn. It's, to me, what's so much what's so it's not even the the financial contribution is great, but more importantly. You're gonna be. You're gonna come learn about an issue and share that issue with other people, so everybody can understand that immigrant education. Every student matters. That's what we say. Every student matters. Everybody matters, and we want everything for everybody.
3: One last question, then I'll hang up. Um, yes. Yes. Um, as we say, Marchand, is all free. Again, pre. How do you incentivize people how How do you get people to put some skin in the game like when they come and you offer these services if if they're free uh, some tend some might have the tendency to just take it for granted. How do you get them to invest themselves in in the process uh,
0: yeah, I mean that's uh for young people that's easy. Our young people they're coming here they're new they don't understand what's going on around them and what we always say is, coming from Haiti, you're outside all the time, and you, have to, you come to New York, you're inside Four Walls, okay? You, you go crazy. Mm-hmm. So that alone, these young people, they have somewhere to, to go to. They meet with other friends. So that is our, that's, that's gold for us. They come okay. to, we have, a, we have computers, we have internet access, we have laptops for people to use. So there is a lot. We have books, we have like a, a, a library. There is a lot. There's always somebody there. There's always somebody to talk to. There is music. There is freedom. So that's what gets the young people into the door because they're in a space where they feel super comfortable. They're not sitting home watching TV, doing nothing, listening to their parents. You know, so to us that is gold. They come in, they meet other young people, and it's a space to hang out. They don't have to be in the street, they don't have to be sitting home and, and, and not doing anything or doing, you know, the housework and so, and so on. They get to come to a space where they can really be. Uh, many young many many uh, people in our community don't have access to internet. So just because you can come to a space and use the computers, do your homework, uh, ask questions find resources and, and, uh, and opportunities I think that's what draw the young people. We have different uh ways to connect with these young people different activities that are going on and there's always 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 opportunities to learn uh, our students are uh, well, they're so talented they love to write poetry they love to recite poetry there are so many ways that they that they connect and I think that's what gets them uh, that's what gets them in and the the resources and the information that we Bring to them, and we know if they weren't if they weren't connected to us, if they didn't know us, they would not get uh, access to those opportunities. So I think that gives them a, a leg up.
3: Excellent. Thank you for all mm-hmm.
0: and and also and for the parents, they know that the kids are in a safe space. So that also helps them. And they know they can get, get, they can get on the phone if they have a question, if they have any doubt, if they have something going on in school that they don't understand, they always call us and we can always give them the right information so they can make the right decisions for their kids.
2: And um, Darnell, are you grappling at all with some of the crisis uh, of uh, apparently as um, uh, people cross the border to Canada who felt that they would get better status there? They left children here that apparently are going to now have to be placed in foster care. Have you come across this issue at all? No, not
0: so much, not yet, because you know that the that CPS is not being renewed, the temporary uh, protection status for um, for Haitians is not being renewed, and that's a that's a huge issue. So, we hear things in the community about families going to Canada. I mean, I don't know personally, I don't know anyone in our circle like some of families that have gone to um to Canada, but of course, I hear people say somebody went to Canada and so forth and um some people question Canada has been good, and some people talk about you know they heard from the family, and it wasn't so great. So it's very mixed in the community. so I think um there is much more to come. Because I think there'll be a final decision in November uh, from Trump, so the community is definitely very anxious, very unsettled, and very, very, very nervous. And as Not a and as for part of our work is to really help young people to understand that situation, to understand immigration, and how it doesn't matter if you. If you have your, if you're documented, you're, you have your green card, we all have to support each other and connect and fight for each other. So that's something very important. In our meetings, uh, recently, that's the thing we've been talking about that. It's like, uh, okay, you have your green card and your friend doesn't, it doesn't matter. You have to support and you have to fight. We're, we're all in this fight together.
2: All right. Well, we are we have come to the bottom of our uh, of our time. So, uh, Darnell, what do you want to leave us with? Obviously, the website is flamboyant.org. I did tweet the fundraiser mm-hmm. that you have coming up. Um, Thank you. Your annual fundraiser at Kinam Lounge on October twenty first, twenty seventeen. Um, and yes, I I would love to uh, to be in attendance. And and if not, certainly to purchase a ticket. Um, what mm-hmm. else do we? Um, what uh, what what? Last words or or what last information do you want to leave us with? No, I
0: just <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Finally, that we've uh, we need to meet now. But uh, yeah. this was a great conversation, <laughs> and we will. And this, <laughs> this was such a great conversation. I'm always so happy to share this issue with everyone because education is uh for everybody and i i, I believe in that so I, I believe in education i believe we will win
2: all right on that note of optimism what can what else can we do but agree with you um uh, folks we're going to be back here uh, at, at the usual I, I i always say nine but it, it ends up being nine fifteen for a variety of reasons um, so we will be here uh, 9.15 next uh, Friday. And uh, I thank again Daniel Benoît, educator, founder, and executive director of uh, Flamboyant Haitian Literacy Project. And uh, of course, thank you also to Hugues who joined us in the first hour to review the news. I will leave you with Bouillon uh, boise and One not Rara to Close that is from the album Blues in Red. Everybody have a great evening and see you next week. Uh, stay tuned to the social media for the guest next week.